This first Sunday in Lent, we're flipping around the uh, order of the readings, uh, beginning with the New Testament reading. This morning comes from Luke's Gospel, the opening 13 verses of the fourth chapter detailing what happens to Jesus immediately after his baptism by John in the Jordan. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. So Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, until an opportune time. Here ends this reading from God's Holy Word. The Old Testament reading for this morning is from the 26th chapter of Deuteronomy, the opening 11 verses. I invite you once again to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written, when you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess and you possess it and settle in it. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders, and he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring to you the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. 
You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The setting for these verses from Deuteronomy is the wilderness. Two generations ago, the Hebrew people had been freed from their slavery in Egypt and they had begun their trek to the land that had been promised to them by the Lord their God. Forty years later, having survived in harsh conditions in a desert wasteland, Moses was to ascend Mount Pisgah and have his first look at the land that his people were going in to subdue and claim a most pleasant and hospitable land flowing with milk and honey. Before the people arrive, though, they have a bit more to endure, including an extensive reminder of what God has done for them and what God expects from these people. Today we enter into the first Sunday of Lent, a season we have occupied since the day after our pancake supper, Tuesday evening. According to the church calendar, this is a wilderness season. We join with Jesus in 40 days of reflection, of fasting, and of giving up. It is a season of reflection examination, confession, rededication, and surrender. Reflection, because we are invited to give thought to where we are in this moment, as well as how we got to this place. Examination, because our Christian duty to obedience to God is in need of regular maintenance. Confession, because we know that our transgressions are many and our sins are great. Rededication, because the grace, mercy, and love of God has come to us through the generations and comes to us now and calls for a response from the creatures. Surrender, because our own wills would have us usurp God's preeminence. That's just what the tempter was trying to get Jesus to do in the wilderness. But surrender is more than what I was taught in parochial school. It's more than just about giving up foods and vices for Lent. And that's where I think the Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy this morning is helpful for us in informing our response to this time in which we dwell in the wilderness. As the ancient Hebrews were being instructed, the Lord God has a history of acting mercifully and powerfully in delivering his people from their times of trial. Their afflictions have not gone unnoticed. Their cries have not gone unheard they ought then to be appreciative for his loving kindness to them. 
as they are on the verge of the start of another chapter in the story of God's covenant faithfulness to them, Moses calls for the people to once again take stock and respond in light of their situations. Likewise, we too have been showered with unmerited grace. We have been given so much more than we deserve, far more than we could ever earn. God has bestowed upon us gifts, gifts that we can never repay. He is just as much aware of this as we are. Therefore, he doesn't demand that we repay our debts, knowing that we cannot. Hence, Moses isn't here asking for his fellow Israelites to give what they cannot. All he's advocating is that they give what they can. And that's the theme of this morning's sermon, giving what we can throughout the season of Lent. The Hebrews, well, they had had it pretty rough, no doubt about it. They'd lived as slaves under Pharaoh. Since their emancipation, now two generations prior, they'd lived as wanderers, as their ancestors, who had come out of Aramea and eventually wound up in Egypt. God had provided for them food and water throughout their sojourn in a hostile and barren landscape. They had not been able to farm much. They had not been able to trade much. They had not been able to sustain flocks of much livestock. They had not been able to build much. So it is likely that whatever they had in the way of possessions had come to them by way of spoils. As they were hastily departing Egypt, you may recall, the locals bid them a good riddance, which included bestowing upon them valuables in the hope they would not return, that they would never meet again and risk the visitation of further plagues upon the people of the Nile. In the lead up to their imminent entry into the land of promise, which they were warned they would have to clear out when the time came, the Hebrews had also encountered other peoples who were hostile to them. And as each opposing king was defeated by the power of the hand of God, the Israelites would have come to possess their possessions. All this to say that despite their meager existence the past 40 years, this is a people who were not completely destitute. Oh, sure, I can imagine they would have liked to have had more, but what they had was quite sufficient, and then some. And on top of all that, the Lord God is promising them even more in the land of promise. In this regard, I think we're quite a bit like our ancestors of the faith, if we are honest, we'd acknowledge that materially speaking, what we have is quite sufficient. We might like to have more, but it's far more icing than it is cake at this point. We have what we need after all, and truth be told, we have plenty more. I was reminded of that yet again this past week as I saw images on the screen 
of women, children, old men, bundled up against the winter cold, somberly marching along snowy lanes, carrying and drawing behind them their most important possessions. The scenes looked like moving, colorized versions of the black and white photos my father had from his service in Europe during the last World War. Even stripped of their homes, their livelihoods, their land, when interviewed upon reaching a a neighboring peaceful country, most of these refugees who now number in the millions are grateful for, by our standards, the little which they do have. This is, I think, just the mindset God wished to inculcate in the people through his servants Moses and Joshua as they were about to embark on the next leg of their journey, both physically and covenantally. Gratitude for that which they do have. And they are here being invited to express this gratitude in a tangible fashion. Yes, God wants our thoughts. God wants our prayers for the oppressed. But I believe he also desires that we should do more than just that for our brothers and sisters out of gratitude for what our Father has done for us. Back in the wilderness beside the Jordan, the people were invited to bring forth their first fruits as an offering to the Lord when they were settled in the promised land as an expression of their appreciation for his work on their behalf from the time of the exodus from Egypt to this very hour. Our time in the wilderness of Lent lends itself to a recollection of what God did for the Hebrews, of what Jesus did as he remained obedient despite all the temptations of this world and the powers and the principalities which fraudulently lay claim to it. And finally, of what the legacy of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension mean for us in this life and in the next Reflecting on all this ought rightly lead us to a response. And just such a response is what is detailed here in the 26th chapter of Deuteronomy. In one of the visits that we had with Hammond recently, he was reminiscing about the days of the Lord's Acre program. In the narthex, there's still a framed hand-painted sign that mentions it and the role that it played in funding the renovations of this sanctuary which were performed in the middle of the last century. The idea was that the local farmers agreed to donate to the church the proceeds from a percentage of their acreage each year. This was very similar to the idea of first fruits that is described in Deuteronomy. I would point out that the giving that was being done was of first fruits, not of last fruits. For the Hebrews here in this morning's reading and elsewhere throughout the Old Testament, the people are exhorted to give back to the Lord from the bounty they had received, the first, the best, and not the dregs, the leftovers. Honestly, though, That's what most folks still do. 
When they give, if they give, they do so with their leftovers. We donate to Goodwill and other charities the stuff that we don't want or need. And make no mistake, other people are glad to have such stuff as that. Most every dress shirt hanging up in my closet, including the very one that I'm wearing today, came from a thrift store. When it comes to giving to the church, many people pull out their wallets as the plate approaches and give some of what they find in there, but the instructions to the people of God were quite clear. God desires of you that you give of your best, for God has given you from his. Hammond and the folks he remembered participating in the Lord's Acre program, they pledged in advance to give of what they would receive. They didn't wait for the harvest and then calculate to figure out what they could do without. That's the sort of giving spirit the Hebrews were being encouraged to foster. It's also clear that they weren't just being asked to give of their stuff, certainly both then and now, whether we like it or not. Money makes the world go round. But God was, and I think still is, hoping that we might also give of ourselves. By that, I mean our time and our talents as well as our treasures. The Old Testament includes references to the dedication of the Hebrew firstborn sons to special service in the temple. The first fruits, not just of the ground, but of the womb. After all, God has provided for these just as he has for all else. All of these blessings are worthy of recounting. And the impending passage across the Jordan was an occasion for doing that and responding in gratitude. As is, I believe, this, our entry into the season of Lent. As we continue our journey together through this Lenten season then, I pray we might all spend some time taking stock of what we've been given and trusted with, made stewards of by God for his honor and glory. May we respond to this bounty not simply by giving up an unhealthy habit, not just by donating to a good cause, a, a bit of what we have in our closets, or the leftovers of an income tax refund, but to give God the best that we can, the first fruits of our labors and of his labors in us for the benefit of his world as we celebrate all the bounty the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen.